Welcome. This is All the Fuck In, a podcast from two entrepreneurs about showing up for social justice in your work. This isn't your typical capitalist-focused entrepreneurial business podcast. There are already plenty of those. We're here because we've been craving voices rooted in activism, justice, and integrity with those values. These are conversations about all things business and entrepreneurship, but from a radical perspective that says we don't have to choose between social justice values and being successful in our work. This won't be a place where we claim to have all the answers. Our intention is to offer guidance and support while also encouraging our listeners to discover and live into more questions. We believe these conversations require ongoing practice and a consistent dedication to unlearning. If you're ready to go all the fuck in on what matters most while creating an abundant life, you're in the right place. And a quick note on our content, we believe self-care is radical and non-negotiable in the work of both justice and entrepreneurship. So some of these conversations include mention of trauma, both from a systemic and often racialized perspective, and in relationship to experiences like sexual violence. We hope you do what you need to take care of yourself while listening, even if that means pausing and returning to an episode at another time or skipping it altogether. Hey y'all, we're back. This is Tristan speaking. I use they, them pronouns. And this is Lauren. I use she, her. And I will go ahead and let our guests introduce themselves with their name and pronouns. Um, And if you would like to also share your social location and any astrology placements you wouldn't like to share as well. Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Susanna Barkataki. I use she, her pronouns, cisgender, and was born in England, a mixed British and Indian, and grew up in the United States to a lower class than middle class family, and live on Tongva and Chumash and um, Fernandinho Tatavium land. Mm, mm, which is Southern California, LA, the LA area. Yeah. LA area. And any astrology placements? Oh, yeah, astrology. Fun. I love (laughs) that you're asking this. So um, Pisces, Sun. Libra, Libra, uh, Moon, I believe. Yes, Libra, Moon. And then this one always was funny for me because uh, I, my brother is a Leo and I was like, I don't really like Leos. They're so self-centered and they're always like get their way. And then I found out I'm a Leo rising. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, That's hmm, really that makes funny. a lot of sense. It does. I'm also a Leo rising. <laughs> I was about to say, we have so much Leo and Libra in our guests, especially yeah. a lot of that yeah. fire and balance, like justice, of course, like it, yeah. It does make sense, right? Yeah. Well, Susanna, we're really, really honored and excited to have you here today. So thank you for joining us. Mm -hmm. Um, I've listened to lots of podcasts with you, and I don't know that I've heard you talk, and maybe I have once actually heard you speak about what like what your journey has been like to land here. Um, I feel like most of our listeners are probably familiar with the work that you do in the world, and I would love to hear about what it looked like before this moment in the, in the, of your work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, t- I think I've talked a lot about when I was young, being born as a mixed race person in England and the discrimination that we experienced and why we emigrated to the United States. So that is sort of the precursor. I feel like that's like the, the colonial impact that was always already there, like the experience of separation. But I came to the U.S., you know, when I was young and then my family moved, they chose the San Fernando Valley, um, thinking, you know, LA is very diverse and and multicultural. And our experience here was still one of a lot of marginalization and discrimination, like from the school system to the neighbors that I had. And so it wasn't until really like after I moved away, went to college and then came back and was working in my first job at the high school I went to just Cleveland High School. I believe you know it, Tristan, because yes. you're an, you were a valley, um, a valley kid Angela. through and through. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. So Cleveland was this unique place of a lot of racial diversity and then a magnet school, which again, it's public, but it taught American culture through the lens of race, class, and gender, and then world civilization through the lens of colonization and decolonization. So I was learning all of that as a young person, like from 15, actually 14 years old when I started in high school and then up through, you know, when I graduated at 18, even though I was learning it, it actually, looking back, I'm like, I was learning it, but it didn't fully help me up, like, locate myself in the experiences I was having. Then I went to college, further disconnection, studied philosophy as like one of three or 13 percent uh, of the of the femme folks in my philosophy classes that it was just a rough moment and then came back and taught at that high school. And as I began teaching there, it was this really unique time of like a coalescence of the students who were there and then me and a couple other young new teachers. And some of the students who were in the school graduating were like Patrice Cullors, who's one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, Mark Anthony Johnson, who's the executive director of Dignity and Power Now, Carla Gonzalez, who's done a lot of work with the um, LA Community Rights Campaign um, through the Best Writers Union. There were so many incredible people like struggling to make the connections between what we were learning and the fact that in our lives, like folks were getting kicked out of their homes for being queer or trans folks were, you know, dealing with the criminal justice system, siblings were getting, you know, locked up and we were having to find some way to organize for lawyer fees. So they weren't, you know, locked up for their whole lives. Like it was just, it was a time of real crisis. And out of that came, a lot of community building. And so myself and you know a number of other teachers plus those folks I mentioned, we formed this really intentional like kind of friend family. And we would meet every like couple of weeks, have spiritual space because we knew we needed to ground. We also were a community in recovery because um, we knew with all the things going on, we needed all the clarity we could bring to it. And then we would organize. And our organizing included like making art and having fashion shows and doing poetry slams, as well as fundraising for some of the causes that we really, you know, they, they weren't causes. They were like, like our brothers, our sisters, our siblings, our friends who needed help. And so in that time of community building, one, I think I just understood what, what in, engagement in the world with spirituality and social justice is, but not in an intellectual way. It was like, it was, it was the school of just living it. And there's a story I can tell about how I, out of all that, I came to, um, to under, to know that I need to reclaim my cultural heritage, but I'll pause for a second to see if you have any questions for me or comments. No, I'm like, keep going. I have the chills up the back of my spine. <laughs> Actually, do you have one small-ish question, maybe a big question? Um, how did you all know that you needed to do things like grounding and spirituality? How did you know that art and fashion and things that maybe in some movement spaces might be looked at as not as important? Like, how did you know those needed to be part of it? Was it just intuitive? Was there? Yeah, some I mean, it's so funny, right? Because when I think about a lot of the movement spaces I've been in, and I think I can say this in this space without it, hopefully you won't take this the wrong way, but they're like, they're kind of white and they're uptight and they're like, okay, we have an agenda. We need to stick the agenda and like go through the plan. And, but we were like, we were like, woohoo, we're partying, like we're stressed. We're going to dance it out. We're going to bring in the ritual. Like it just wasn't even, it was sort of part of what we each had come from. Mm. You know, like when I think about when my family first moved to this country, for example, we had three suitcases, two of them were filled with my and my brother's stuffed toys, right? And one was just like clothes. We barely had anything. We got to my aunt's house, she was who helped us come, my aunt's Bengali and Assamese. And, um, and we just had, I feel like we had pujas and parties and friends and family over for weeks, you know, and it was just this like, welcome to America. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. And we were making something out of nothing. Like none of us, there weren't, there weren't a lot of resources to go around, but we always had, you know, a neighbor brought food or like and a family member brought food. Like it was just this kind of continued 
prayer to to God, to the divine, to support us and the support came, you know, and then it it got easier and easier and easier and sometimes harder again. But, um, but so I think we were just coming from that, like the cultural roots uh, and the practices, you know, I, I talked a lot. We did talk a lot about back then we were thinking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how so many of us, you know, didn't have those basic needs met, but how it, actually we didn't believe in the hierarchy mm. which now come to find out right that super problematic and was based off a of blackfoot you know understanding that's very different but we're like we don't have to wait to get to self actualization and to get to spirit and to get to art until we have housing like we can be creative about housing and you know stay with one another and and make this work and we can make art and we can you know so we were kind of taking what we had been told and then saying like, we don't agree. We want to do this a different way. I think some of it was just being for folks in their teens and early twenties and like, you know, a little bit of punk rock, like let's let at the system, let's do it our way. And our way is going to look beautiful and it's going to be cultural and it's going to be creative. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Your message was like, we don't have to wait till those, I think they're called deficiency needs. Those first four <laughs> levels are met. It's like, Yeah, I think he talked about, uh, Maslow talked about the top of the pyramid being like, that can only happen once those first four levels are met. And it's a growth need, meaning it'll make you happier, but you're not going to suffer without it. But I think that's such bullshit. Like, I'm so glad you're bringing that in because yeah, like everybody deserves to be exploring their creative side and bringing things to the world, even if those quote unquote deficiency needs are still needed to be met anyway. So I'm so glad. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Will you pick up on the, on the reconnecting to your lineage? Yeah. 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 So one of our spiritual spaces we had, so Patrice and Mark Anthony particularly were bringing uh, Ifa, which is a, an African kind of spiritual practice, um, bringing Ifa much more into their lives and then into our space. So we'd sometimes have like, because we were, completely multiracial, multi-age, multi-gender, this community, right? So sometimes people would bring pagan practices or like centuria practices, or, you know, I would bring yoga and meditation. Um, so they brought Ifa and had a Babalao come and do, and a Babalao is like a priest or, you know, a, spa, a spiritual space holder and do a ritual. And as this Babalao was doing this ritual, he looked right at me and said, you need to be a doctor. You're a doctor. Whatever you're doing, you need to stop and become a doctor. And I was like, Patrice, did he really just say what my uncle's like, I'm Indian, you know, how many, how many people, how many times have I heard? Oh, child, beta, you need to be a doctor, doctor or lawyer. It's like, I, no, I'm not, I don't want to be a doctor. And, and so I just like breathed, the ceremony went on. And then afterwards, we got a chance to process. And I, I was like, I, you all know, like I'm an activist, I'm an organizer, I'm a teacher, not interested in being a doctor. What was that? And Patrice looked at me and she was like, Susanna, this is Ifa. This is an indigenous African tradition. When we say doctor, we're not talking about Western doctor, we're talking about a healer. We're talking about you going into your own traditions to learn how to support and heal yourself and your community. Mm. And that was like the aha. It's like, oh yes. And something in one that, you know, Babalao giving me that kind of commandment, that order, and then the permission and the support of my community. Cause then like everyone chimes in, you know, Claire, like Margaret, all, all of the, all the other folks were like, look, look at what you bring. Like you're always bringing movement. You're always bringing asana. You're always bringing meditation. Like you're already doing it. So I don't know what you're saying no to. Um, why don't you just embrace it more and turn towards it more? And this is probably in the early 2000s, maybe 2004 or five. And so at that time I was like, oh, right. Okay. And so I didn't have the resources to go to India at that point, but I looked for a yoga training, a deeper yoga training to um, take, but I knew partially because of what I wanted and partially because of that context of like, this is the indigenous wisdom from your heritage you're, you you want to connect to is 
had to be taught by Indian, you know, or South Asian folks. And I couldn't find it uh, in Los Angeles and even anywhere in California. And then I looked for an Ayurvedic training and that was really hard to find as well. But I found one that had um, Ayurvedic physicians, doctors they're actually called who came from India and would come like once a month and teach. And so I took that training. And then after I graduated, and it was incredible, after I graduated, saved up enough money, I was working as a teacher and took off and, and bought a one-way ticket to India um, to further you know, practice and study. So that was that path. <laughs> wow. You've had many paths. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And also one yeah. <laughs> that has led you here. Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah. I mean, in a way, it's like sometimes people will ask me, like, what qualifies you, Susanna, to talk about social justice, right? Because then I, and I think to some extent, that's like, it's a undermine, it can be an undermining question, but it can be a, a really valid question of like, what's the story? Because on the surface, and folks who are listening can't hear me, but if you look at pictures of me, I'm a, I'm a light-skinned um, Indian person, right? And I'm mixed. And so there's a lot of ways that I do have privilege and that if you didn't know my history and my story, you might not understand um, why these things are so important or the context that has given rise to it. But the erasure, right, and the lack of representation of South Asians and of the, the full expanse of what yoga is, is something that I dealt with um, my whole life, you know, and so that it's sort of like I just fell into a community that could reflect back to me my own experience. And that also trained me in the tools of organizing. You know, there was a whole bunch of strategic things we did around those more like immediate kind of um, access needs with the communities we were in, like with students and, you know, um, community rights campaigns. But a lot of that training is what I bring to the work that I try to do now. Yeah. And it sounds like when you were looking at teacher training programs and recognizing that there were no opportunities to study with folks who are actually are carrying the lineage, um, I, like I imagine that that also like was a little seed moment, like this needs yeah. to change. I can like, did you have a like, when did the thought occur to you? This needs to change. I can be part of the change because to me, you you are you and a select handful of folks are, are, are pushing this conversation forward and have been for years now. Um, and I, yeah, I wonder what that seed or process looked like for you. And, and also, I mean, I know it must've informed your, your first book too. Yeah. I, like many people who take teacher training did not want to teach yoga. I just wanted to learn. And that was true through that whole time of learning Ayurvedic, you know, wisdom and, and practitionership and, internship. And then through, even when I first, my, the first time I traveled to India, um, because, so my experience is also different. I want to name this from a lot of South Asians who grew up in the diaspora. I did not go to India frequently as a young person or as a child, um, through colonial trauma, there was a, there was a rift. And so, you know, and I didn't have access, right. As a young person, I couldn't just fly across to, to another, um, continent. And so, I only was able to go when I'd saved up enough money, which took me like a decade um, from when I knew I wanted to, to when I, I could. And then while I was there and training, a lot of that was honestly like the inner repair work, mm. um, which again, like folks listening or either of you, Tristan or Lauren, it's like that inner repair work of who am I? Like, what am I doing? Um, how do I do this in wholeness and in integrity? Oh, actually, I'm really not whole and I'm really like confused and kind of broken, but how do I keep doing it anyway? And through that process of like self-tending and self-healing, um, I, I would say that, that was a long period. And so it was only when I came back, my teacher Shankar D, I came back and then went back again to study and for another while longer. And he said, look, you need to take what I'm teaching you and what you've learned and share it in your context with those who most need it. And so I came back still, you know, a teacher by this point, I had left that school that I um, 
I had gone to and was teaching at a credit recovery program. So for students who, you know, maybe for different reasons like gang involvement or um, teen pregnancy and parenthood were, were dropping out. And so I was working with them one-on-one, -on -one, which is a really interesting model, really effective kind of mentorship model. And I would bring yogic tools to those folks, you know, and, um, and so I was like, okay, this I can do, you know, and the practice was helping me stay grounded myself. So I could really be there and really see what the needs were. And then my friends and colleagues started to notice like, oh, you're so peaceful. Like we just had, you know, this, this fight, or we just had, you know, this, um, you know, student almost like leave the school, but you managed to be calm and help contribute to resolving it. What are you doing? What's happening? Can you teach me? And so it, it more came from people asking me to teach, even though my teacher had said, you need to go teach. I wasn't thinking he meant teacher training. You know, I was thinking like share yoga in your community, which I did. And then enough, like I had 10 of my colleagues and friends who were doing really interesting work, like working in domestic violence shelters, working in, you know, um, child sexual abuse, um, working in like immigrant rights. And they all came together and they were like, Susanna, we're all folks of color. We're all doing this work in our communities. And we want you to teach us in a teacher training. So I was like, okay, I hadn't thought of that, but I'm a teacher, you know, and I know, so I'll put together some curriculum and some training and, and yeah. And that was the first, the first way TTI taught it was amazing. Grassroots style. Yeah, it was. Mm. Yeah. I was about to say, and also I live by a church. So you, you all are going to hear bells. Tristan's used to it. Sometimes Beautiful. Um, on the hour, every hour. Um, what I'm hearing is like, it just grew very organically. And like, even if maybe you didn't have a set plan every time because of how you were showing up, people were like, Ooh, I want some of what she has. Like just your presence was medicine for people. So it, it, it just like emerged that you didn't have to problem solve your way into finding your work. Which is I mean, no, I don't think I, did until I did right because right. <laughs> then when I was like oh I want to teach yoga right and I went to try to find studios or festivals or conferences I was met with silence like a lot of studios never you know wrote back I did end up teaching at a, at a handful of studios in Los Angeles um, over the years but festivals like never got asked. I, and I applied you know conferences workshops all these things never got responses and this is for like eight years, right? So somewhere around 2010, actually, no, it was like 2008. And then the very first thing I got invited to that I remember is because of a colleague, right? So a trans colleague, white ally, Jacoby Ballard, who you probably know, yeah, who said, I'm going to put your name forward for this position because I value your work and I think you're really important. I think you'd bring a lot to this organization. And so they suggested that I um, be on the board of Yoga Service Council. And that was huge. If that hadn't happened, I don't, you know, it's like the people who can open doors for us who are in the rooms. But then what's powerful, I do want to bring this in, is like, and then there are rooms that I got invited to that Jacoby wasn't getting invited to because I'm cis and because, you know, whatever the reasons, uh, because of my privilege. And so we've had this relationship of, you know, in those rooms, like say consulting for an, a yoga organization, I'd say, well, you know, and not just Jacoby, but like we need more trans folks, more non-binary folks, like great, you have me, but, and also not just one South Asian, like we need more of us. So that has been huge too. Mm. Yeah. I can't remember Jacoby. We had Jacoby on right before their book came out. And I can't remember if he talked about it here or because I've, I've heard Jacoby speak about this relationship and, and how, how the two of you have opened doors for one another and advocated for one another. And I, I get tears in my eyes listening to you share about it as well. Cause it's just, it's so, it's such a beautiful modeling and teaching and 
like the having this conversation publicly. So folks hear like, Hey, this is what we need to do. Like, like we don't just like ask the hard questions about like, are we getting paid? Like who else is on there? It's like, we also say, Hey, have you thought about inviting so-and-so, right? I want to uplift this person's work and advocate for each other. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Ooh, there's my puppy. It's Hello, puppy. puppy. <laughs> Mine already left because my husband's making lunch. She's like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, did you have a follow-up question before we circle back to the, the book topic too? <laughs> yeah. So this is a little nuanced and forgive me if it's messy the way it comes out, but when we're talking about opening doors for each other, something I struggle with is I'll be inclined to leverage my privilege in a space and open a door and like say, Hey, have you thought of collaborating with my friend? So-and-so and in the back of my mind, I'm like, I know this particular space and its leadership haven't done the work or enough of the work to make it less harmful, let's say. Yeah. Um, and so I struggle with balancing mm. opening those doors, but also being transparent with the friend or the colleague, like, Hey, here's what's going on. And here's where this space usually run by white cis folks is grappling with and not quite on board with yet, or they're figuring it out, but it's messy. So I, I wonder if you have any thoughts about that. Cause it's, it gets very I do. I have, yeah, a lot of thoughts about that. Um, it's really helpful. I think for us to know what we're moving into, you know, and, and so I try to let, my colleagues know if I'm going to put their name forward. If one, I try to ensure that there's more than just one. Like recently, this is the weirdest thing, but a university reached out to me, maybe because of my advocacy on Instagram and said, we'd love to invite you to speak at um, Trans Day of Visibility at our college. And I was like, oh, oh, how awesome that you're having an event. You know, I'm not trans, so I would not be a good, uh, a good speaker. But let me suggest like these six people for you to reach out to. And then I was like, oh, let me make sure that this is a paid thing because otherwise please don't reach out to them. And will you be reaching out to just one person or multiple? And all of their answers were, you know, yes, it'll be paid. Yes, it'll be multiple speakers. So I was like, okay, phew. Um, Because it's so hard to be the only one. It's really hard. And personally, I have made some choices in my career, right? And I want to be really clear about this. I kind of see I'm holding up like a, well, my bell inviter. Um, But for those who are listening, it's if you can imagine like a pen or something. And when you're creating change, it's like you can work completely outside the system and you can work within the system. And sometimes there's like a fulcrum point. So now my finger's like underneath the middle of the pen um, where if I move it to one side, like things are going to tip right? And change is going to happen. And so sometimes I'm willing to help create that change by going in alone, but it does help me to know. And even in the situation, you know, that I was in that Jacoby put me forward for, we've laughed about this uh, retrospectively is like, I thought I was ready, but actually I was brought in, but not, I never actually was featured by that organization, even Mm. for the work that I did, right? Like I was never centered and it was so hard because it would be like, we're talking about yoga, we're talking about trauma, we're talking about, and I was like, I could be happy to do this free workshop and was never, um, there was just a lot of continued kind of erasure. And so there was a lot of harm that I personally experienced and needed to process. And, you know, Jacoby felt like, oh, I wish I hadn't. But the truth is me getting even in that door meant so much for my own career and then also relationships that I built and ultimately my personal growth of being able to handle being in a situation like that and process it and still, you know, move forward. I eventually left just to take care of my own mental health. But um, but I think it's important to not underestimate the willingness that people have to take that opportunity um, just because the organization isn't ready or where we want them to be, but to also inform your colleagues and your friends mm-hmm. of what they might be walking into and to be there to support. Like when I've done it, I've been like, Hey, I'm here. Like I've done it, for example, with Jacoby. And then it's been a really like transphobic, you know, or even like 
queer phobic place. And, and I know that because I was part of the arrangement in the beginning, I'm there to listen and to be a support and to help process, you know, for years. Like it's not just something where I'm like, oh, I did you a favor. Like, no, this is this really a favor? Like, let's really look at it. And how can I continue to support you in getting what you need despite the marginalization that might be occurring? Mm. So it's complex, right? There's all these systems of power and, and relationship, but I think it comes back to relationship mm. and staying in relationship with um with the people. So I don't know if that's helpful, Lauren. Mm. But. That that's super helpful and First of all, I'm like, ooh, I've been doing it kind of okay. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you have. Of course you have. Transparency is important, like yeah. less transactional, more relational. It's not, because I think the very white type of networking can be like, oh, I'll introduce you to this person. And then you introduce mm-hmm. me to this person. And that's not what you're talking about at all. Um, no. It's it's more, yeah, like you said, staying in relationships. So yeah. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I really appreciate that answer. And I'm sure it'll help a lot of people too. Yeah, yeah. Could you talk about um, the choice to self-publish your first book and what that experience was like? Yeah. And the book was, you know, it actually began as like stories about my family, like my oh. aunt, Jatai, who helped us come over, um, stories about my other aunt, you know, Auntie Pagu and and her experiences of her spiritual practices and her faith supporting her through her journeys like it was very it was more of like not really memoir of my own but like memoir of the the family and the tradition and the culture vedic practices and i sent it off to a couple of publishers and one they were like we're not interested in this this is just you know it's like your family story great um but we want something more instructional around yoga and then, you know, I kind of rewrote it and brought that forward. And they said, okay, this is good, but can you take out the word colonization? And I was like, I don't know how this even makes sense if I take out that framing. So I realized at that time, you know, and I sent it to maybe three or four publishers, um, some who just never responded. And the, the response I got, even though it was harsh to me and it was disheartening, Um, because I don't know if anyone's ever like submitted something like a poem to a magazine or a short story or to, you know, whatever piece it's crushing. Those rejections are crushing and it can like it, this was a a book that didn't just take a year. It took me like 10 years to write for that reason. Right. Like when I submitted in, in the early, it was like maybe 2015, 2014, 2015. And so I realized, okay not going that route. They don't like it the way that it is, but I'm a teacher, so I can write a workbook. I'll turn it into a workbook. So it shifted and that kind of took the pressure off because I was already now feeling very disheartened about being an author um, or a writer at all. And so it's like, but I can write curriculum. I can make it, you know, practical. And so I did all that. And then as I did that, and I was getting kind of halfway through and it's like the first part is all about the problems in the yoga space like separate what causes separation and then our part in it is the second so sort of svadhyaya and self-reflection and looking at our identities and by the time I got to the third part which is like reconnection through the practices of yoga it's like oh this isn't just a workbook this is a book (laughs) so I rewrote it finished it and just decided like I I don't want to have to fit this into any kind of box. Like it's not really a, it's not a memoir at all. It's not really a workbook. It's kind of a book. So let me just publish it. And that was a whole, a whole journey. I'm trying to remember back. Yeah. I, I realized like this, this is a world that I don't know that much about publishing. You know, I'm an avid reader, but I don't actually know it goes into publishing a book. And so I found someone who had familiar, was familiar with my work, a white woman who worked in publishing, um, Camille Truman. She's wonderful and creative and kooky and all the ways that people that work in book publishing, you know, can be. And she helped me, you know, I paid her. It was a uh, business exchange. She helped me with editing, finding out how to make covers. She was the one who really was like, this is beyond and all for folks who don't have it. Let me, uh, let me see. I know not all of you will be able to see, but there's like 
sections. Like I love how the first section is like tabbed and then the second section is tabbed. Like all of that, she helped me um, bring the structure around what the book was to life. And so that was, I'm so grateful for her and for everyone else who contributed to the book. And then as I was about to publish, it was called Honor Yoga's Roots. Cause that was like the work I've been doing. I made this summit honor don't appropriate yoga. I got an Instagram DM that said, excuse me. I think it said namaste. <laughs> like you can't use that word. You can't say honor yoga's roots. We own the trademark. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. So that was part of the publishing process too. Wow. It's a silly question, but I thought book titles weren't proprietary. You're right, Lauren. They are not. They're very hard to protect. But the company that owned the trademark and the trademark that they own was Honor Yoga. Um, they also are part co-owners in a huge gym chain. Huge. Uh, and so there's me, like there's no trust fund. There's right. no, like, it's just me. Like I'm a school teacher and I run teacher yoga teacher trainings. Like, and so I looked at it and I was like, yeah, in the, in the court of public opinion, I've certainly won in the court of <laughs> law though. Mm. Um, they're going to find a way to, even if I could use the book title, like they could come after any program. Like at that point, I think I called my teacher trainings were called honor yoga's roots okay. trainings, you know? So it's like, this is not like, I really had to do that work of like a non South Asian person or company is saying to me, at, like, I didn't think I should be the only one to say honor yoga's roots. I thought everyone should be able to say honor yoga's roots and in particular South Asians. And so even though it's like, I'm, I believe in this, this is not the way to, to fight that battle. And so it took, it took a couple months before I came to that. And luckily I have a, one of my, one of my colleagues who went to Berkeley um, and studied philosophy with me, white man, uh, he's a lawyer and he's a contract lawyer. And so he connected Whoa. me and I was so lucky, you know, it's like, again, these, these moments of connection, someone who does major contracts for like the stars, right? Like is working with Rihanna, Will Smith, all these people, right? So luckily I got to have a conversation with them and they didn't tell me what I wanted to hear, but they said, look, like you could fight this, but it is going to cost you so much money that, it, you know, you're not even going to have anything at the end of it. You may win, but it, is it worth it? And so that was so helpful because if I hadn't had that advice, you know, I'm a fighter, right? Like I might've gone and been like, this is wrong. Um, and so I just had a, a meditation where I was like, what this work is like, it's nameless. Just like each of us, ultimately, it's like, who were you before you had the name you have? Mm -hmm. Who were you before you had the face or the body, right? Like we've all been here for a long time in different forms, I believe. And, and so what is the nature of this work and what might be another um, vehicle, another name for it. And I remember having this vision of like the roots and a tree. And I was sitting at the base of this tree and feeling embraced by the flowers and by the branches. I was like, oh, embrace you because it's flowers. And so just changed everything. Like literally had to pause production on the book. It was about to go wow. into, you know, wow. into production and had to change all of the places where you know, honor, I didn't change all the places where honor showed up, but many of the places and changed, you know, the cover and all of that. So, wow, wow. yeah, it was quite a journey. I also had to sit with like, this is literally what has happened to yoga in the West. Yep. And yeah. so here we are, you know, like, am I surprised? <laughs> Yes <laughs> and no. Right. Um, right. Like this is why the book needs to be out. I was about to yeah. say, it sounds like they need to read your book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they have since, you know, okay. and they've reached out and, and asked for certain, you know, if I'd like to do trainings or things. Um, so I think there's been, you know, that that's important too. I just want to name this as like in the work that we do and for folks listening, it's like, those people who are quote the enemy, right? Like we might look at this situation and say that big business was your enemy and maybe in some sense, but also they're just people and they're people trying to bring yoga as they knew it and felt it 
to their communities the best way they could. And they were protecting that mission and vision and, and protecting it fiercely, you know, with the tools they had available. And so I think I also had to work on forgiveness and understanding. And that doesn't mean I'm going to collaborate, right, or work with folks, but it does mean that I'm not making them wrong in order to make myself right. Like mm. it's, it's not so simple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm kind of like chuckling to myself a little bit because Tristan and I just had a text exchange. About yeah, that. Literally <laughs> I'm not writing like, people off. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's hard. It, it it's is hard, hard to fight for change and stay in the relationship. I mean, obviously we don't, owe anybody a relationship if it's causing us harm or if it's abusive or, you know, whatever. And like, how do we stay in the relationship and keep challenging the growth rather than just saying this person or this company doesn't get it. So I'm done and I'm walking Mm -hmm. away and I'm, and, and like, and, and, you know, like painting it this color as if that's it, it's final. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Tell us about the new book that you're working on, Susanna. Mm, Yes. Thank you for asking. So I knew when I sat down to write that I didn't, you know, I didn't want to write like Embrace Yoga's Roots Part 2 because it's been done. Like now it's done. My book's out in the world. Michelle Cassandra Johnson's wonderful book was already out in the world, Skill in Action. Um, There's a number of other wonderful authors that have like Donna Noble has a book coming out soon. Um, We could all probably name, you know, Jeevan Heyman, Jacoby's book, although they're, they have their own lens on it, right? There's all these wonderful works and there will be more and there should be more, um, hopefully too for more South Asians. Uh, um, Oh, Nadia Gilani has a book, um, Yoga Dissident. So there's Mm -hmm. so many great, kind of treatments of the issues in the yoga world and how we can change them. So I was like, I'm not going to write that second book. And I was worried, like probably many people are like, am I just a one hit wonder? Is this going to be the only thing that's really good that I ever write? Um, And so I really sat with what actually has been this next part of the journey for me. And it's been deep, sadhana, deep practice, personal practice that's personal, but also in relationship. And so the next book is really about embracing practice, you know, and how we can go deeper into uh, personal practice that's also in relationship with others and then bring it into the world. Uh, so it's a it's much more of a practice-based book and a book that goes into yoga philosophy in more depth, kind of like the last section of Embrace Yoga's Roots. A lot of people like the biggest critiques, you know, there's always critiques when you write something. Um, and then there's meaningful ones and not so meaningful ones. <laughs> but the, the significant ones, the ones that I paid attention to were like, but give us the, the heart of it, Susanna, yeah. like, where's the yoga philosophy? And by the time I got to the end of the book, it was already 200 and whatever many pages. I'm like, I can't, if I keep going, it's going to be double that. So it's all of that, like the philosophy, the application in a very practical and approachable and real world. Mm. Um, so really about sadhana, exploring our, our sadhana. When do you think it will be available? Not for a while. Um, okay. This this book is going the traditional route. I'm trying it. You know, I'm one of those people who's just like, I, I want to learn more than anything. So I'm like, what's it going to be like to, to publish traditionally? I will say, and I want to like, because for folks listening or thinking about writing your own books, publishing, uh, what do you call it? Self-publishing. It's a lot of work up front. Um, took some financial investment, right? Like I had to hire folks to design the cover and things like that. Um, And I've made some money on the book because Mm. for every book, it sells for 24 bucks, something like that. For every book that um, sells, I get around five to $6. So that's shocking in one way, like why you only get five or $6, right? (laughs) But, um, But it's still something. So if say, you know, whatever, like, um, like 
500 books sell, that's that's not a small amount of money to receive from, from writing a book, which is awesome. And I'm so grateful for the folks who keep buying it um, because it's it helps support this work. But traditional publishing, you get ideally a, um, what do you call it? Like a signing kind of- Like an advance. Yes, an advance that can be anything, can be anything from a thousand to, I know I have a colleague, I did not get anywhere near this, but um, got a hundred thousand dollars, right? Not in yoga. <laughs> she okay. <was> <laughs> Um, yoga, I would say we're somewhere between five, 10, 15,000, 15 being amazing. If you can get that much from a book publisher, but then you don't get any money until that advance is paid off. And you only get like, I don't know, 25 cents a book after that. So traditional publishing is not for the financial. It's more for getting your work out there. But the reason I was like, I want to try this is you get distribution. So mm -hmm. my book, my biggest wish, you're going to laugh at me maybe, but I want to go into a bookstore and see my book yeah. on the shelf. Of course you do. Yeah, of course you do. And I've never seen it. <laughs> never seen it um, because it's self-published. So I went to Barnes and Noble. I was like, could you put it on? They're like, no, we can't. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So I should go to some small bookstores, but I haven't, you know, I haven't had a, a chance to do that. And, and so traditional publishing will get the books on the shelf, shelf. you know, Target, Walmart, not that these are great places I want to sure. be right. But, um, small publishing houses, you know, or, or bookstores as well, they'll, they'll, they have relationships. And so for folks thinking about it, um, the biggest thing I would say is please don't give up. Like you have a story to tell and you have a message to share. And just because a traditional publisher doesn't want it does not mean it's not needed and valuable. And maybe that rejection, if you get rejections like I did, will become part of your story um, or part of the work you do that will inspire someone else. So don't give up on sharing your story, whether it's in a book or other you know blogs or other places, but also like decide for yourself, like be empowered. Don't feel like, oh, I didn't get chosen by them. And so I can't publish. No, you can do it yourself. Um, mm -hmm. It just takes some dedication. Yeah. And those decision makers are not the be all end all, you know, really point. are not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for you though, to experience this new route. And I hope that I walk into my little independent store here in Colorado and, and see the, yes. Book on the show. Yeah. 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 So did you start, cause I know that marketing is also something that I'm like, are publishers helping us as authors with marketing or are they not? What, it, how, and you have done an exceptional job <laughs> with your marketing. And so like I, my sense is you, you, you put a lot of effort into marketing your work and your book. Um, and I'm, I, I mean, I, I really want to know, and I know lots of folks want to know this, how you managed to create so much content, <laughs> but I, I, I'm also curious to hear about what your relationship with marketing has been like while you launched mm -hmm. this book and, and yeah, new iterations of your work. You know, it's so funny, Trista, when I started this, I didn't even think of it as marketing. I thought of it as like, like change making, right. And getting like a place for a message, um, but it is marketing. And so I've learned through the years, like how to be more effective at, at sharing a message. And <laughs> the first answer folks might not love or feel like almost like it's trite, but I actually think I can do so much because when you practice, when I, my experience with practicing yoga is that there are boons that come, right? Like when I first started teaching, I was shy. I was so soft-spoken. My students, literally, they're like, miss, we can't hear you. You know, um, you want us to do our homework? Like you have, we have to be able to hear what you're saying. Oh, you want us to do our homework? Like in our home country, because I taught English as a second language, our teachers would hit us. You're not going to hit us. Oh, we're not doing our homework. You know, it was like, I was so not able to get a point across or even be heard or be respected. And like this is across the board. I'd be out at parties with friends and I would be talking and someone would just start telling a story right over me and no one would notice. So I, I felt like, for example, through the practice of satya, like really delving deep into satya as just one of the, the yamas, all of a sudden things started to change. It wasn't all of a sudden, it was like over a few months and years, my students would take my words more seriously. I found more empowerment in my voice, right? So, so there's been that like 
from going from not being listened to, not being heard, not even having a voice to like, oh, heck yes, I'm going to share. Like you're going to give me a platform and on this platform that wasn't built for me, right? Like Mark Zuckerberg didn't want to hear from us, didn't want trans voices or like ally voices or South Asian, you know, voices like that was never the intention. But if I am got this tool, I'm going to use all of this tool and I'm going to use it to the best of my ability to share the messages that I have. So it's kind of like the organizer and the practice came together. Um, and I, I will say, I feel like I've been in a season of it's lasted a while, like maybe 2018. So about four years of like, I'm here. I've got this message. Let me do the most. Let me do it all. Let me, you know, and I'm like, okay, I've done a lot. I've done a lot of free education. Like literally it's practically a training just to go back through the yep. archives and the blogs and the free things. And so do I want to keep doing this mm. or do I want to create, you know, a, an easy to access kind of lower cost, for example, subscription type of thing or course where I give a lot of value there and it keeps sustaining me and, and the work and then the other wonderful guest teachers that I always love to bring in um, and give myself a bit of a rest, like a bit of a break. So I am in that place of inquiry around it where before it just felt really, it still actually feels really fun and really nourishing and really life-giving. Um, I enjoy, I, I enjoy thinking about how to take an idea and then get it to land maybe through entertainment or through humor or through movement and dancing. Um, so it's fun for me, but, but I am at an inquiry point of, do, do I continue? Like, I still get notes from people who, when they land on my page, they're new and they're like, wow, I never thought about it this way. Thank you so much. And so if I don't put out stuff, then I, you know, my mission is really, it's broad. It's like a million yoga teachers having the tools of, of, the roots of yoga and using them for personal and social liberation. And that's a million people. I don't, I, it's going to take a lot to get to that many people and then to go deep and go deep into the heart of what yoga is, which we could study our whole lives and not be done. And so I think there'll probably be some shift to some still doing some stuff, but doing less. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where I am. I don't know if that's helpful. Um, but I think many of us like struggle with feeling like, you know, you have to do something on social right. to be seen, to get noticed, to get clients. And, and maybe I, I guess I would say if that's, if you're feeling that way and when I'm feeling that way, I don't post, I literally go through my archives and I just post past stuff. So you'll see seasons where I'm just posting quotes that I had made like three years ago. And if you see one of those people who follow me, um, please celebrate for me. Cause it means that I am, you know, taking a bath or spending time with my child or resting and napping, you know, and, um, or writing the book, like not, not doing the fresh stuff. And, and so I invite you to like take breaks and then if you feel inspired, social media is social, like, so share what's on your heart, be real with us, be authentic. And then, um, and don't worry or don't put pressure on yourself if you can to, to share. Wow. That sounds like such a healthy relationship <laughs> with social media. And it, I, it, before you shared that sometimes you'll post things from the archives, I was about to ask, like, have you ever like repurposed content? I mean, oh, that's yeah. something we forget. Like a lot of us, especially if you've been at it for a few years, you have so much so to much. pull from. Yeah. Yeah. And for better or worse, right? Like <laughs> we've got these strange mechanisms that track us and that on Facebook, for example, which I barely use now, but I can see my memories. And I just saw one today that was this beautiful post. It was all about like, you are enough, you have enough. Mm. And, you know, this is not for people who truly don't, right? I'm not saying that for people who truly don't, but for those who have privilege and have, you know, access, like, do we need more? Do we need to do more? And so we can take, like, you can look back at your own memories, take that, 
bring the new perspective that you have from where you are now and use that. It's yours anyway, you know, so why not? Um, and then I do use just like, there's many scheduling tools, but I use a scheduling tool called later that allows me to, um, to pre-schedule. And so it's not like every day I'm going in. And I also, I will say I used to post three times a day so much. Oh my goodness. Three times a day. Then I went to two and now I'm at one. Yes. And <laughs> I, as soon as I went down to one actually, and not that like, again, it matters, right? Like, but more people started to engage and like have something to say and be interested. And so, you know, there's no set amount, like you could post once a week, you could post once a month, you know, and if it's coming from your heart and what you want to share and your true intention to be social, to be connected and to connect, then I think that's wonderful. Yeah. It'll resonate with people. I mean, I think that's yeah. why your following has grown because people are like, oh, this is really true. And from this yeah. person. Mm. Yeah. And we see, I mean, I just want to name like everything you just shared, first of all, was like a mini marketing workshop. Um, And also like exactly what I teach when I teach yoga teachers, how to market and grow their work um, Mm -hmm. and how to use social media in particular. And one of the things I see you doing exceptionally well, apart from creating so much content and so much content that's um, contributing your voice to a really important conversation. You also show your personality. Like we get a sense of who you are. We see your playfulness. We see your your vibrancy. We see how you show up, you know, Um, and that's really beautiful. And something that I think social media can allow us to do if we're willing to lean into that because it can be vulnerable, right? To like yeah. show your body on a camera yeah. and move <laughs> in front of a bunch of people. And yeah, yeah. This is so real, Tristan. It's like, I still get messages from people. I got a message from someone the other day who I respect and love who, and they were asking me something and they're like, is it your millennial like friends that tell you to do the dancing, you know, pointing <laughs> reels? And I was like, ah. Okay, so what is that saying? One, that I'm too old, mm. right? And I am, I'm, I'm not too old, but I'm 45, right? So, um, so there's that, I'm too old and that there's something shameful or, or wrong about doing like a dancing and pointing reel or like a trend. And so I really had to sit with it because the truth is, right? Of course, I've had friends of all ages be like, hey, you should do this. Hey, you should do this. But I was like, you know what? No, that that was all me. <laughs> that was all me. Because at the end of the day, like, are we going to say someone's too old to dance on screen? Are we going to say someone, you know, has a body that shouldn't be seen moving and jiggling? And, you know, like, so that... <sighs> that process, I still have to work through my own insecurities, even just showing my face. Like there may be many folks listening who are like, I could never do what you do. But look, I, I feel that too. Like I remember at the beginning, I just did quotes. Like if you look way back at my stuff, like way back, it's mostly quotes because I didn't want to show what I look like because of internalized kind of beauty standards. And then I just was hit some turning point of like, this message is too important mm. um, and people want to connect. And every time I do do something physical or like dancing or whatever, I'm going to take that as like freeing myself. Like mm. I love seeing, for example, Jessamine Stanley's yes. posts, right? Like how liberating does that feel? Or Jaisal Parikh um, Yogawala has now started posting these awesome videos uh, of like literal practical things, like for folks with bigger chests, like using two bras, right? Like, and how liberating that is for me to see and how good it feels. So I'm like, why wouldn't I just share my full self? Um, so if you feel inspired uh, to do that, do it. And if you don't, don't like, yeah. <laughs> you really don't have to do any of this. Yeah. It is such a practice of listening to ourselves and honoring like our own boundaries and lines. Yeah. While also leaning into a little bit of growth maybe and pushing some of the stuff that we are carrying in our heads that we might hear or see or not. Right. And questioning what's going on unconsciously behind like the messages we've internalized about whether or not we deserve to take up space and share ourselves in the world. Yeah. Yeah. 
And um, Susanna, I was going to say, in case no one's ever said this to you, although I'm sure you know this on some level, like you doing that gives other people the permission yes. they need too. So just like you're getting that from Jessamine and, you know, it's like, it, it, it's a uh, chain reaction, I guess, mm-hmm. of like, oh, okay, I'm allowed to take up the space, like Tristan said, just like anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm. really cool. I think we just have, I know we're, we're almost at time. So um, first of all, do you need to, do you need to hop off in five minutes exactly, Susanna? Susanna? I don't think so. Let me, okay. <laughs> let me just look at what's, oh, <laughs> I probably need to go in like, yeah, like six, seven minutes. Okay. Um, so I have well, a class that I'm teaching. Great. Oh, great. okay. I so don't, you don't to want be. to keep you. Yeah. <laughs> I know we wanted to touch upon the dynamic that we've seen in the waning interest in justice focused work in the world of yoga. I, I'm, it's like, I'm not phrasing the question, but is there anything as we have five minutes, like, do you want to say anything about that? Do you want to say anything about the work you have coming up? I, I want to give us space to wrap up while also being considerate of your time. Yeah. You know, it's true. Like there was a huge upswing in interest in yoga and social justice and yoga for, you know, personal svadhyaya inquiry around our positionality and our social location and privilege and then how we could bring that into creating change. And that interest has tapered off, like whether it be from institutions or from students, um, it's much less. The work is still there. The need is still there. And I would say the momentum around like particularly the South Asian roots of yoga and centering those, I don't actually feel like that's yet had its like um, spark point moment that gets everyone kind of moving. And and I don't know where that's going to be. I don't know when or how it will happen or, or what it'll take but I'm really hopeful that we have that in my lifetime so we can all move towards, um, you know, we wouldn't have like a sweat lodge without it being led by an indigenous leader, right? And and you wouldn't have like black culture led with like, or the Black Lives Matter movement led by someone who wasn't black. Like it just doesn't make sense. And so we have yoga still in the West led by non-Indian folks, majority. I mean, it's only the percentage of yoga teachers who are South Asian, it's like 4.1%. It's so, so low. And that's, you know, I understand the population demographics, like there aren't as many South Asians in the West, but I'm talking about leadership, right? And cultural connection and bringing the roots and the heritage out. So a big part of what I try to do with the trainings that I offer is one, like bring in those teachers and leaders from from many different communities. So not just South Asian folks, many South Asian folks, but also black folks, trans folks, queer folks, indigenous folks who can come in and teach um, for the world that I hope we see where there's like a yoga practitioner, a yoga teacher on every corner, in every school, in every community center where the tools of yoga are supporting us in finding more peace, finding more empowerment and like uplifting our communities. I really believe this is like in the next decade, we're gonna have so much more access to, and many communities will have access to the to the deep practices of yoga, not just asana, but like breathing, yeah. uh, meditation, you know, all of that. And so my, I guess it's like a request West, I think it's a request is support this work, right? Like maybe it's you listening. Who's like, oh, I don't think I'm ready to do a yoga teacher training. Like, honey, we need you. Like we need you come into the space, reach out. There's so many great trainings that, and many that have scholarships, right? Ours has a scholarship, huge scholarship fund. Um, so come take up space, get the training, step into leadership. That's the first part. Then if you already have, do more training. Like why not? You know, again, at workshops, classes, books, all of it, keep learning. And then if you're in a position where you can support, then I would invite you, if you're if you're moved by the particular work I do, to support it. And you know, soon I'll be asking folks to to support the scholarship fund. We have like 
65 people who've asked for a scholarship for teacher training, full or partial scholarship. In the past, when we've had like 30 or 40, we've given full or partial scholarships to every single person who's mm -hmm. asked. I hope to be able to do that. But the reason we were able to do it is because there was also so much interest coming in. There's less interest. So we actually have less resources. And um, and I'm in real reflection on what does that mean? Like I've gone at this from a business model standpoint. Does it need to stay a business or is it turning into a nonprofit? Is it turning into a different kind of work to do? Because the mission is the same, mm -hmm. but the form it takes might have to change. Um, so if you're able to support support this work, you know, my work or or other people's and um, or both or all. <laughs> and um, and then the last piece, I think, is just understanding that it's a long game, like that wherever you're at, if you're feeling kind of like I'm feeling like a sense of like, oh, no, how do I how do I keep this going? Take some breaths and like trust that the work will be here. The practice is there for you um, and turn to your community and find and feel that support. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. What a really beautiful way to wrap up. I was going to say, this is a great note to end on. Thank you so much for everything you shared. This is such a rich episode and I know a lot of folks are going to get so much out of it. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much for both of your work, um, Tristan and Lauren. So appreciate each of you. Yeah. Likewise, Susanna. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of All the Fuck In. If you like what we're doing, we'd love if you'd subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify and leave us a five-star rating and review. This helps other folks find us. You can learn more at alltfinpodcast.com. That's A-L-L-T-F I-N podcast.com and on Instagram at all T-F-I-N podcast or at Tristan Katz Creative or and at Lauren K. Roberts.